We're continuing today in the Promised Land Journal, the story of Moses and his leadership. You can turn to the book of Exodus. We're going to be sharing there together today. You know, it seems like every miracle that we have in life comes along with one true thing, that it was, that it was brought about by a problem. That our lives almost always, uh, a miracle is, is joined to trouble. As a matter of fact, I, I think it would be true to say that nobody has ever said, things were going so great in my life and then a miracle broke out. But we always comment on miracles in conjunction with a trouble, with a, with a trial, with a difficulty, with a need in our lives. So I think it's pretty safe to say today that the troubles that enter into our lives are an opportunity for God to release a miracle in our life. And even take it to this step to say the troubles in our life can be embraced because those are, a, are the portal. It's the door that we're going to walk through into the miracle power of God. Wonderful illustration of this, found, of this is found in the story of Moses and the, and the children of Israel coming to the Red Sea and the need to cross that body of water. Just to recap quickly, and I think almost everybody knows the story of the, of the Exodus, but to Quickly, last week we heard about Moses and his calling at the burning bush and how he went from that place down into Egypt where he confronted Pharaoh and demanded that he would let the people go. Pharaoh's refusal was followed by uh, the plagues that God poured out on Egypt as a, as a tool in order to pressure the Pharaoh to let the people go. Finally, after the tenth and final plague, the Passover, Pharaoh let the people go. And this is where our story picks up today because the people of Israel uh, rushed out of Egypt where they lived, the area of Goshen of Egypt. They rushed out into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Now, along the way came trouble. And as I just said, trouble is always a precursor to a miracle. Now, God's ways for our lives do not always or even often seem to make sense. If we were to prescribe or if we were to map out our lives, we would not be sure to include some trouble. We wouldn't say, I'm looking for some real trials in my life. I'm looking for a difficulty financially or maybe a health issue or perhaps a relationship problem or or a, a problem in my job. We would never put those into our lives, but they exist. And our our, our experience is never part of the, we would never plan our experiences the way God does. His ways do not make sense to our understanding. And what happened with the children of Israel here that brought them to this place of being at the Red Sea didn't make logical sense. In verse, if we look at Exodus chapter 14, we're going to start at verse number one, we see that God led Israel out of Egypt, but on a route that didn't make much sense. It says, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, turn back and encamp near uh, Pi-Hamarth between Migdal and the sea. They had gone one direction. He said, turn back and go the other way. And then he said, they are to encamp, they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite from baal Zephon, And Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. God goes on to say, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. 
Now, can I just pause and say, from a perspective, from a human perspective, does this make any sense that you would bait Pharaoh into pursuing you? But God literally sets Pharaoh up to pursue the people of Israel. He says, and I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, so the Israelites did this. I want you to notice something really interesting here. God revealed his purpose to Moses. He told him what he was doing. He said, he not only said, here's the direction I want you to take, he even said, here's what Pharaoh is going to think. God knew all of this in advance. In the book of Psalm, the 103rd chapter, uh, the psalmist reveals this. He said that he, speaking of God, made his ways known to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. To Moses, he made his ways known. He revealed his thoughts. He revealed his plan. To the children of Israel, however, he just showed them in his actions what he was going to do. Now, the ongoing threat to Israel and uh, the, people of, the people of God by Pharaoh had to be addressed. Because just because they left the promised land didn't mean that the people were totally free. Because Pharaoh was going to continue to pursue them. What they were going to go through was going to include some momentary discomfort, but it would give them long-term security. Now, if, if here's a truth I want you to get. Life is filled with momentary discomforts that lead us to long-term solutions. Momentary problems are not to be assigned to us that we're on the wrong path, but to let us know that God is at work in us for a long-term solution. What was going to happen was going to bring them, an, uh, bring them answers and bring them security and also would bring glory to God. Our lives are an instrument for God to receive glory through. That's what he was going to do in Israel and what he wants to do in you and me. Now, the promises of the enemy are never to be trusted, and the enemy makes all kinds of promises. Egypt made some pretty lavish promises for, the, for, for Israel. They said, we're going to let you go. Now, they even gave them supplies for the journey. They said, now you can go. Go out into the wilderness and worship your God. But in chapter 12, we see that Pharaoh's promises weren't worth anything because the Bible says during the night, uh, excuse me, uh, going back to the promises. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and your Israelites. Go and worship the Lord. And you have requested, take your flocks and your herds of you, as said, and go. But the promise was empty. Sometimes we get involved in receiving some empty promises, or we believe or act on empty promises. It reminds me of the story of a guy who was lonely. And in his loneliness, he said, I, I need some companionship. And he did what you would think was pretty logical. He went to the pet store and he bought himself a talking parrot. He thought that that would help him not be so lonely, that the parrot would engage in conversation with him and he would be uh, a much happier person. So he paid $250 for this talking parrot. And the, and the, pet, shor- the pet shop owner assured him that the parrot would just talk up a storm. They'd have a great relationship. Well, after a week, the man came back and he said to the pet store owner, I'm, I'm not very happy with the parrot. It hasn't said a word all week. And the owner said, you've got to be kidding me. Do you mean to tell me that the parrot didn't climb his little ladder, get to the top and start talking? And the, the, the guy said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You never told me anything about a ladder. He said, 
we didn't give you a ladder? Well, no wonder the parrot's not talking. You need a ladder. The ladder's only $20. And the guy goes, okay, gets out his credit card, pays 20 bucks for the ladder, and takes it home. A week later, the man comes back, and he's complaining again. He said, I want you to know something. I uh, put the ladder in. The parrot climbs to the top of the ladder, but he's still not talking. And the pet store owner said, that's really strange. He always would climb the little ladder, get to the top, ring the bell, and start talking. And the guy said, well, wait a second. I don't have a bell. He said, you don't have a bell? Well, that's totally necessary. He says, I have bells. They're only $20. He says, okay. So he bought a bell for $20, and he takes it home. A week later, the guy comes back, and he says, "Uh, my parrot has not said a word. The pet store owner says, what? He always climbs the little ladder, gets to the top, rings the bell, and hops on the swing and begins to, to talk. He says, well, I don't have a swing. He says, you don't have a swing? It's totally necessary. You need to swing. He says, I happen to have them for $20. And so he buys a little swing, and he takes it home. And a week later, he comes back, and he says, all right, I want you to know I'm really upset because I have put in the swing. He says, now my parrot climbs the little ladder, gets to the top, rings the bell, hops on the swing, and never says a word. And the the pet store guy says, I don't understand it. He's always climbed the ladder, gotten to the top, rung the bell, got on the swing, looked in the mirror, and began to talk. He said, well, wait a second. I don't have a mirror up there. He says, you don't have a mirror. It's totally a necessary part. He says, I promise you, if you will put a mirror in there, your parrot is going to just converse like crazy. You're going to have a, a great talk with your parrot. And the guy goes, okay. So he shelled out 20 bucks and bought a mirror. He comes back a week later. And he says to the man, or the, the pet store owner says to him, how's the parrot doing? He says, the parrot died. He said, what? Did he have any last words? He goes, yes, he finally started to talk. He said to me, don't they sell bird seed at that store? <laughs> Empty promises are part and parcel to what the enemy does in our lives. To Adam and Eve, the enemy said, if you'll just break the rule and eat of that fruit, you're going to become like God. To Jesus, the enemy said, if you'll fall down and worship me, I will give you all the nations of the world. The scriptures warn us that the love of money is the root of evil, but we are we, we as people constantly pursue finances and money and, and possessions, and the Bible says, and it pierces us through with many kinds of sorrows. Solomon searched for happiness in all the wrong places. He looked for it in riches and popularity, in success in his work, in material things like homes and stables and chariots, in influence and in power. And at the end, he said, I have discovered that everything I've pursued was a pursuit of chasing after the wind. It's an uncatchable thing. The enemy had lied to him. What was held, what's been held as a promise in your life that hasn't really materialized? Maybe the enemy has told you that if you just got that job, just got that boyfriend or girlfriend, just entered into that relationship, just got this possession, just did this or that, just lived in the right house, you would be happy. I, I was amazed, uh, and you, you all see it, uh, you know, like you watch the Home and Garden Network. How many of you, you watch about a half an hour of that, and you go, I am living in the wrong house? <laughs> you know what they've come to call that? House pornography. People are just tuned in going, I need a six-bedroom, four-and-a-half-bath, 3,500-square-foot house, or I'm not going to be happy. 
because the promise of the enemy always says it's just around the corner. It's just out of reach, but we never can get there. Satan makes promises. He's never fulfilled one. What did the Pharaoh do? He had promised that they could go into the wilderness and they could uh, worship God and they could go to the promised land. But in Exodus chapter 14, verse 5, we see this. Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. And they said, what have we done? We've let all the Israelites go. We've lost their services. So he took his entire army to pursue them. This was the most vast and feared army in the world. He took his horsemen, the Bible says, and his troops. 600 of his best chariots. And then the Bible adds, along with all the other chariots in Egypt. A chariot was a fierce war machine in that time. It would, be, it would have a driver, one or two horses, and then it would have a person who did the killing. That person would have bows and arrows. They would have multiple quivers filled with arrows. They would have spears, and they would have a battle axe, and they could just simply mow through people who were on the ground, who were walking or running, and they could overcome them all. Now, the Hebrews didn't know what was going on. They didn't know that Pharaoh had changed his mind. He didn't know that he had amassed his army and he was marching after them. Instead, they were celebrating. And have you ever had that feeling where you're celebrating, think everything is going great, but there is actually trouble right around the corner? We call it the other shoe is dropping. That we think everything's great, but there's something about to happen. And that's what was happening in Egypt that, or in, in the wilderness that day. The Bible says that... Uh, that the people of God, if you look at, at Exodus chapter 14, verse 8, it says this, that, the, that the, the Pharaoh had hardened the heart of the Pharaoh king of Egypt so that, his, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. They were marching out boldly. I looked into that scripture further. The original language means they were going out with a high hand. Other translations say it this way, that they went out with their fists raised in defiance. They were literally going out going, yay! They're high-fiving one another. They're cheering as they go. We have left Egypt. We're on the way to the promised land. They were singing songs of victory, not knowing that right around the corner there was trouble. And it's interesting to me how quickly things turned. In verse number 8, they're going out marching boldly. And in verse number 9, it says this, the Egyptians pursued them and overtook them. Suddenly, their celebration turned into terror. Suddenly, their confidence was replaced by fear. Have you ever been overtaken in the middle of feeling like everything was going right? You're feeling like this is, this is exactly what I was hoping for, exactly what I was expecting, and to have your confidence shattered by being overtaken with trouble. When we're threatened, there are many things that happen to us. One of them is that loss of confidence. In verse number 10, the Bible says that the people were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. Their cries of victory turned to cries of terror so quickly. And they began to assume the worst. And have you ever assumed the worst? Maybe you get a little pain in your side. You go, that, you, know, that, you know what that is? That's probably cancer. That's probably stomach cancer. Or you, 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 have, a, you have a 
a, a little argument with somebody like your spouse or somebody you care about, and you go, that's it, we're probably never going to be the same again. We're probably going to hate each other forever. We, you start to assume the worst. You start to believe that everything bad is about to happen to you. And these people began to assume the worst. Verse number 11 They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? Wow, that's a lot of assumptions. That we're all going to die in the desert. That we're all going to be destroyed here. And when we began to assume the worst, we began to look for something or someone to blame. In verse 11 and 12, the Bible says they asked Moses this, and this was kind of one of those rhetorical, what do you expect me to say questions. What have you done by bringing us out into Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? I don't know that they ever even had that conversation with Moses, but they were accusing him of it. What have you done to us? This is totally your fault. We wish we could have still been slaves. That would have been better than what we're facing right now. When we are facing troubles, we often blame someone in our lives. We blame our parents. We blame our upbringing. We blame our friends, we blame our spouse, we blame our pastor, we blame somebody. Someone is to blame for our problems. We even blame God. You don't love me. You've never loved me. You always loved other people more. You've cared for other people. I've always struggled. And by the way, through the years, I've heard a lot of these things. I have struggled through my life, people will say. I have never had what other people had. I've never had the opportunities other people have had. But God has a word for those people on that day. And he was basically telling them this. My plan for you has not changed. My commitment for you is secure. I'm still on course for what I said I was going to do. In verse 13 and 14, Moses said to the people, Stand firm. Do not be afraid. You will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Do you remember Home Alone? It's one of the most important films of our time. I think you would remember that. In that movie, I love it when Kevin is up on the balcony, up by their bedrooms that overlooks the, the, the entryway, and he is running back and forth screaming. He's got his hands in the air, and he's waving them, and they run it and fast, you know, and he's going, ah! You remember that? He was just absolutely going crazy. Nothing good was coming out of that moment. He wasn't getting a plan. He wasn't protecting himself. He was just letting his emotions overwhelm him. God says to the people here, listen, I have everything under control. He even had told Moses in advance why he was doing it, how he was going to do it, what Pharaoh was going to do. And he says to them, but what I need you to do is to be still. Stop involving yourself in just senseless running in circles, waving your arms. Stop screaming at the top of your lungs. Just be still and let me do what I'm going to do. Now, for some reason, God did not allow Moses to say to the people, listen, God has given me a detailed plan of the outcome of this. He just said, you need to be still and know that God's at work. Now, for some reason, God only knows. He doesn't tell us in advance every step he's going to take to work out our problem. He just says, trust me. 
trust me, I'm going to act. I will not let you fail. I'm always going to be here for you. The people simply needed to learn trust and obedience. It's a challenge to be still in the face of potential harm. It's a challenge to say, I'm going to trust God when I feel like everything's falling apart, when my marriage, my finances, my education, my job, my health, it's all falling apart. It's a challenge. But God says this was one he needed them to win, to learn to be still and to trust God. Because how many times in the next, in the years to follow, were they going to have to just say, we're going to just stand still and let God do what he does? What you know right now is only a fraction of what you're going to need for the future. And God says, what challenge you face today is going to prepare you that's going to be even bigger than what you're facing right now. He had promised them and pledged to them a home of their own, a land flowing with milk and honey. He had promised them that they were going to be a nation that was so numerous that they were impossible to count. He had promised them that out of them would come a redeemer for all mankind. So this was simply a challenge along the way to the fulfillment of that promise. Now there's a time to cry out to God and there's a time to act. And crying out to God is a very important part. But then there's a time to listen and God says, now it's time to act. In verse number 15, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. It's time to move on. He literally told them, go closer to the water. Go closer to the thing you've got your back against. It was time God had spoken to Moses, and now it was time for Moses to take the steps that God told him to do. In verse number 16, God says to Moses, raise your staff and stretch your hand out over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Boy, now that's a pretty big statement that we're going to divide the sea so that you can go through on dry ground. This meant they had to overcome their fear. Fear makes us think of the worst possible scenarios. Fear makes us think of all the outcomes that could be so horrible. Fear causes people to run in the wrong direction. Some of these people were already saying, maybe we should just give up and head back, surrender, go back to Egypt. Fear causes people to turn on each other, to begin to blame each other, beat each other up, uh, uh, involve each, each other in a blame game of, this, is what, this happened because of you. Why, Moses, did you take us out of Egypt? Why did you ever come and say that we should leave in the first place? Why did you do this to us? Fear causes us to forget that there are greater challenges ahead, and this is simply preparation. These people were going to need to follow Moses through times of hunger and thirst and isolation and war. Fear causes people to simply give up. I'm not going to follow God any further. So why was God allowing this to happen? Well, there's some facts we know because we have a perspective. We're we're looking at it as a completed work and we learn some things. One was to display the power of God and the glory of God. In verse 18, the Bible says, The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Listen to that. God says, I'm going to gain glory through the most powerful king in the world, through the most powerful army in the world, I'm going to gain glory through them. I'm going to bring victory through them. 
God will gain glory through the most difficult things that we face. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to let my glory shine through this thing. And I'm going to provide you a lasting answer to this problem. In verse number 13, it says, The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. A final answer. These Egyptians that have been your slave masters, that have been your tormentors, you're never going to see them again if you will simply believe me for this momentary problem. Speaking of that momentary problem, just let me help you understand the depth and the breadth of what God is about to do. There were three million people, but three to three and a half million people, depending on the estimates that you read. Uh, the Bible tells us there was about a million men, plus men, uh, plus women, children, and livestock. So we're talking about a vast amount of people. Many years ago, the U.S. Army Quartermaster calculated some things. He said that this amount of people would require 1,500 tons of food every day. That would be the equivalent of two train loads a mile long. They would need 4,000 tons of firewood daily, not only to cook over, but the desert gets cold at night and they would need it for heat. They would consume, with them and their cattle, 11 million gallons of water every day. The, the amount of faith and trust that they were going to need in God was going to be immense. So God was saying to them, if you're going to believe me for these daily needs, you're going to have to believe me for this momentary need right now. God was about to show his delivering power. And I want you to look at a couple of the steps of how he did that. First of all, the Bible mentions here the angel of God. That going before them was the angel of the Lord or the angel of God who was, who was going in front of them. In chapter 14, verse 19, the Bible says, Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. That's kind of interesting to me. First of all, that, they, that the Bible here calls Israel having an army. They didn't really have a trained army. They didn't have an army that even had much for weaponry. But with God in front of them, they were an army. And then the Bible says something happened that they must have felt was curious. They felt the leadership of God in front of them. And then the Bible says he withdrew from them so that he could go in back of them. God knows where your weak point is. And he will always cover that area in your life. And so God said that the angel of God withdrew and went to the back because the, the attacking army was about to arrive. God is always ahead. God is sometimes ahead of us leading. He is sometimes behind us protecting. But know this, He is never far from us. He knows where we need Him the most. The second thing that we see regarding His deliverance is the mention of the cloud. The Bible tells us that the cloud of God was uh, during the day a cloud that would a pillar that would be in front of them to lead them, and at night that would turn into a pillar of fire in order to give them a direction. The Bible says in verse 19 and 20 that the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them, coming between them and the, between them of the, their army and the army of Israel, the army of Egypt. And throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other, so that neither went to the other all night long. The protection of God kept those two armies separated through the night, 
and gave darkness and confusion to the Egyptians and gave light and direction and security to Israel. The crowd represents God's constant protection. Between the time of need and deliverance, the Lord is still active in protecting you. You It might be that there is a moment where you're saying, I don't know what's going to happen, but know this, he's never left you. Between now and the miracle, the power of God is always there. The presence of God will bring darkness to the enemy, frustrate his plans, and keep him from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. And through the night, that night, God worked for his people. Because Moses had stretched his, uh, his rod out over the sea, the Bible says that all night long, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry ground so that the waters were divided. This was, a, this was an amazing miracle and much larger than we seem to comprehend it. Most of us think right away of Charlton Heston and the, and the movie that we saw of the Red Sea standing up and the people walking through. But it, the gap that God created had to be enormous. Again, back to uh, uh, the, the army uh, this, uh, this man, uh, the quartermaster, had figured out the logistics of what it would take. He said if they had to cross in one night and they had a narrow passage to go through where it would just be like two abreast, the, the line of people to go through would be 800 miles long and it would take them 35 days and nights to cross. But we know that they crossed in one night. So he figured out how big a gap would we be talking about. They would have needed a path three miles wide. And they could walk through that path 5,000 abreast. So they literally moved through as a huge mass of humanity all in one night. Their camp would have been 750 square miles, which is the same as the size of the state of Rhode Island. Now, did Moses sit down and figure out all that? Did he say to himself, well, let's see, in order to get this group through here, it's going to have to be 800 miles wide. And, you know, no, do you know what? He just said to God, you do what you do, and I'll do what you've commanded me to do. And God said, just hold your stick out over the water. Just make that act of faith. Leave the rest up to me. God completed this miracle, as we all know, by wiping the army out because uh, uh, the Pharaoh and his army, they charged into that Uh, that pathway that God had made during the day. But God allowed the sea to just simply close over them. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 27 to 28, it says, The water flowed back, covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that followed them, not one survived. Let's think about you and me today. I want you to recall again with me, your life is never out of God's protective control. You're never on your own. You're never out of his mind. The psalmist said, I can't even count the number of times every day that you think of me. Your fears, they will overcome you if they can. They will overturn the work that God is doing in your life if you allow them to. But fear has never motivated us toward faith. It never will. God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly how he's going to work. It's all in his mind. It's all in his plan. He's working for your good. And that good can only happen and the miracle will only come about if you work to let him allow it to. If you yield yourself to him as Israel did on that day. I'd like the worship team to come join me.
It might be that today you need a financial miracle. And like Israel, you're at a, you're at a crossing point and you say, what will I do? In that, in that financial need, you have some choices. You can believe God, trust Him, stay the course, be true in your tithes and offerings, be true in taking care of your obligations, and believe God for a miracle. Or you may make some rash decisions that can really hurt you. You may go back on your, on your commitments to God. You may start to go into debt. You may spend wildly thinking, well, it doesn't matter anyway. And in so doing, you can subvert that miracle that God has. Don't give in to fear. Stand firm. Believe God. Maybe you need healing in your marriage. Instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to probe what's wrong, to change your heart, to give you a new love for your mate, instead of looking for a a transformation of you, you're feeling like throwing in the towel. You say, I'm going to seek divorce, or I'm going to get into an affair, or I'm just going to ignore my wife. We're going to lead our separate lives. I'm going to ignore my husband. We're going to just live our separate lives and just uh, try to get along for the sake of the kids or for whatever. But God wants to change your heart and change your marriage. Will you trust God for a miracle in your marriage? You may need deliverance from a hang-up, a habit, an addiction. Instead of focusing on that issue straight on, seeking God for deliverance and saying, bring that miracle into my life, you find yourself just giving in, seeking or sinking deeper, going further and further out of control. And you're hurting yourself. You're hurting people you love. You're sabotaging your future. You may have a dream and a vision for your life, through education, through road through through the road that God has for you to to ministry or to uh, a career. And and, and you face some roadblocks. It's not been going well. God is saying to you, wait on him. Don't Don't change course. Don't go back. Believe him. If you bail out now, you may miss the purpose that God has for your life. Friends, I want you to know, now is not the time to give up and go back to Egypt. Now is the time to wait on God. And then when he says move, to say, and now I'm going to advance as God is directing In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, God said this to us, his people. He said, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He says, these are the things I will do. I will never forsake you. Would you stand with me today? Your back may be against a barrier today. Your back may be against the Red Sea and your enemy may be confronting you head on. And you may say, I have nowhere to go. But I want you to know that the one place that you can always go, the one place that will always be your answer is we come to the throne of grace. We come to our God who has had a plan, is working his plan, and is going to complete his plan for our lives. Because his promises are irrevocable. His promises are true. And so today I just want to ask you, who here today needs a miracle? Who here today says, I, the, the trouble in my life has brought me to a place of needing a miracle. The challenges or the concerns or the fears or the doubts in my life have left me with, what, with only one option, a miracle from God. Then if that is the case, you are in a good place because his power is available for you and for me today. 
And so today as we pray, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you need a miracle and you've decided, I'm not turning back, I'm not going to, I'm not going to flail around in fear, I'm not going to wave my hands and scream and shout. Instead, I'm going, to, I'm going to lay this out before God, and then I'm going to step forward with Him when He says to move, because I'm believing God for a miracle. If that's you today, I want you to raise both hands up and say, right now as we pray, I'm going to receive a miracle. Right now as we pray, I'm going to submit myself to God knowing that He is the only answer for my life. And so I, as you hold your hands up with me today, let's pray a prayer of faith right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray for every person here today who is facing an insurmountable thing. Lord, we are, are, we're facing a sea that we can't cross. We're facing an enemy that we can't defeat. We're facing a fear that we can't overcome. But we have a God who controls all of these things. That you literally have brought us into this place that you might reveal your glory. You have literally brought us to this place so that you might show yourself faithful so that we will trust you for the things ahead that are even bigger than what we are going through at this moment. And so today, now, in the name of Jesus, we say yes to you. Yes for our families. Yes for our marriages. Yes for our finances. Yes for our health. Yes for a healing. Yes, Lord, for direction for how we're to live our lives and what we're to do and what the fulfillment of our purpose would be. Lord, let a miracle break forth in our lives now. And we reject fear. We will not give way to fear. We will not turn back. We will not let go of our resolve because we know that if our God is for us, who can be against us? That he who did not spare his own son but graciously gave himself up for us all will also along with him give us all things. And so I receive these things now in Jesus' name and I take my stand and I will not be moved because you are my foundation on which I stand and trust. In Jesus' name, I thank you for it. And now, Lord, we say, open the sea. Provide a way for us through a path that that is from you. Lord, that the enemy that we now see will not be seen in the future. That you would receive glory through what you're about to do. And what you are doing now and what lies ahead is for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said to me, amen. Say it again, amen. Let's give glory to him. We begin to just lift your hands and begin to praise him and say, thank you, Lord, for the victory. Thank you, Lord, for the victory. Thank you, God, for the overcoming power. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the one who gives us this victory. Thank you, Lord. Today, as we go, I want you to go out marching boldly like the Israelites, hands held high. It says, he has done it again. You know, when they got to the other side, they even had more praise than they did when they were marching out of, Is- uh, out of Egypt boldly. The Bible says they were marching out with their hands held high. When they got to the other side, Miriam led that entire Israel people in a, in a song of praise. Or she says, I will, I will praise the Lord who has thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. Do you remember that? So today, I want to give you something to praise God about as we go forward. When you get to the other side, I want you to shout the praises and say, we thought it was good before. It's even better what's ahead. We're going to go out of here with our hands lifted high. We're going to go out here, with, just like Israel, marching boldly. And I want you to go with this scripture, this promise in your heart. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, 
Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is my fortress. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And listen to this. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God bless you. Go in the victory of God. We'll see you next Sunday.